Hello there, this is the Psychology Report. Glad to have you with me. You're joining in about with uh, 6,500 other people who periodically listen to the Psychology Report on some kind of a regular basis and uh, join me in this process of conversation on a number of different topics. Today's topic will be of interest to you. Growing up poor, does that really make a difference? You know, there are over a billion children and adolescents worldwide that uh, would be identified as uh, growing up within the context of poverty, however that's defined in their particular country. But poverty is a great marker of um, school performance, or the lack of school performance, I should say, economic advantage, which or the lack of it, I should say, uh, occupational advantage, or the lack of it, I should say. In other words, poverty has a profound effect upon the children who grow up within that particular context. For instance, they have lower IQs. They score lower on reading tests. They're less likely to graduate from high school. They're less obviously less apt to go on to college and receive a degree. They're more prone to be they're more prone to be poor when they grow up. And they're more likely to be unemployed as adults. This is the this is the poverty population that is all around us in our country as well as other countries. But some recent research look is looking at poverty from a different perspective. This research is under the direction of Kimberly, Dr. Kimberly Noble. Dr. Noble uh, teaches at the Columbia University Teachers College. And um, she's a professor in neuroscience as well as education. So she's trying to take these two fields and integrate them. What is it like to grow up poor in poverty? And what does that do to the brain development, the neurological development of the children who grow up in poverty? In other words, how does poverty affect the brain and its development. Well, here's just a couple of her findings, and then we'll discuss it. Children who live in poverty tend to perform worse than peers in school on any given test that you put before them. Math, spelling, reading, science, any test that you want to identify and put that before them. Children who live in poverty score poor or lower on all these different tests and they're less likely to graduate from high school they're less likely to go on to college and are more apt to be unemployed once they enter the age of the workforce so poverty has a very definite uh, ill effect upon the children uh, academically and uh, they continue to be impoverished. They continue to be poor, not only economically, but poor in their academic uh, achievements and pursuits. Well, here's another study that uh, Dr. Noble uh, is part of and summarizes. Research that comes uh, from the neurosciences with sociology show that educational and occupational disadvantage results from growing up poor. 
In other words, economic differences among the poor people. Once they, poor children, once they grow up and become at the age of going to work themselves, even if they do work, they work in very under uh, economic uh, conditions, low economic conditions, and make just minimum wage at most. So they continue to live a life of poverty. They carry on a life of poverty. They get married, they have children, and they live in a life of poverty, which is the same. But here's one of the other findings that she came up with among poor children. There was a significant difference in the size, the shape, and the functioning of the brains. In other words, they had smaller brains. There was a different shape to the brain. And the brain of these poor children could not function, did not function, as the brains of a child raised in wealth. So we see that the brain itself seems to be affected. So we don't have just the fact that economics and the lack of work or poverty or whatever it is just has a negative effect upon educational outcome. It actually affects the development of their brain. And obviously this is a big question as to really what's going on, why is that the case? She goes on to study this, that as the economic levels of a child increases, and that is they go into wealth, they're in, they raise in homes of greater wealth, they function better in their short-term memory. Their language skills are better. Their memory of facts and events are better. They have better cognitive control, that is impulse control, and they have better spatial relationship, that is they can judge the distance between spaces. They can uh, navigate without getting hit in, without bumping into a wall or bumping into a chair or whatever it might be, without hurting themselves in a, in a wide variety of ways. In other words, wealth has a marked in, increased effect upon the general neurological functioning of children raised in a wealthy environment as compared to children raised in poverty. In other words, poverty kids are at risk. They're at risk when they're born, they're at risk throughout childhood, and they're at risk throughout adulthood because that brain is now smaller and it doesn't function as well and it just is impaired, so to speak. So what goes on here in the area of wealth? I mean, what's, why is that the case? Because what she did is that she looked at wealth not only from the point of view of just wealth versus poverty, but wealth versus those that were moderately wealthy as compared to those that were highly wealthy. And what she found is that the brain development, of course, is impaired by children raised in homes of poverty where there is less than $50,000 of income in that home, less than $50,000. That's how she defined poverty. But the brains of children raised in homes where the income level was two hundred dollars and $300,000 was significantly better. Larger brains, better functioning brains. And those that just lived in the moderate range of, of wealth, that is $100,000, $200,000 a year, those brains developed and maintained that development very positively. But the higher the wealth, the more likely the brain was going to be larger and better functioning. So 
wealth not only affects kids, but even the higher levels of wealth has a positive effect upon the children raised in homes with that kind of wealth. So here we see uh, the brain itself, and no wonder the kids, the, the, the kids have a brain that's understimulated. So no wonder these kids do poorly in their schooling, poorly in their work ha habits, poorly in their studies, you know, poorly in their social skills, and right on down the line. That brain just, just does not have the capabilities of functioning as children raised in a wealthy home. Now, what do we do about that? How do we kind of approach this kind of a dilemma, this problem in our country? You know, what we've done over the years is that we've set up preschools. We call it Head Start. We've uh, given families uh, subsidies of various kinds, giving mother the food stamps, hoping that what she'll do is buy better food for their kids. And we've given a lot of different welfare benefits to families that live in a poverty range of economics. But you know, we don't see a lot of benefit. We don't see a lot of real benefit when the kids go down to school and go on to the work world. They still seem to be impoverished in their motivations and in their levels of achievement. So we don't really have an answer to that. Giving mothers a certain welfare benefit does not necessarily make a difference. So what Dr. Noble came up with in her team of researchers is what would happen if you gave the mothers of these kids who are being raised in poverty now a certain sum of money every month just on a debit card now obviously with the encouragement that they would use that money to stimulate the development of their children books to read tapes to listen to CDs to listen to uh, games to play on the iPad that they might have or the phone that they might have gaming you know being able to interact and stimulate the brain because they have a little extra money for that purpose so what she's doing right now and she does not have the findings of it yet this is still a research that's going on one group of mothers were given $300 a month $300 a month and a different group of mothers were given about $30 a month and now what she wants to do is to study these groups of mothers and see what they do with their children how they stimulate their children and what happens to those children how do they perform in school how they perform in the work world and how they physically develop at the brain is their brain larger is it more functional than it would have been otherwise the very simple answer rather than giving all these welfare benefits which mounts into millions and trillions of dollars what if you just gave a cash benefit to mothers in poverty and educate the mothers as to ways in which they can use that money for the stimulation of their children for the enrichment of their children well we're gonna to have to stay tuned for that research to see how it's going to come out because it's not done yet but we'll get a read on this in the near future as to the outcome of that kind of you know research you know just in a personal way uh, we lived in Canada you know, when we had our two young children, two two young girls, and uh, they were born there in Canada. 
in Canada at the time, this was in the, in, in the 60s, in the mid and late 60s, we got a check from the government of 40 bucks per child. We looked forward to that for a lot of reasons. Because uh, we were in the poverty line. I was in school. And we lived in the poverty range. So, when I was in school, of course we didn't have a lot of money to spend on the stimulation of ourselves, let alone the children. We were just enough to able to get along and have our meals and have our clothes and have a place to live, and that's about it. But we got 40 bucks. We had two, two children at the time, so that was 80 bucks a month. It helped. But what we did with that money is that we turned around and bought books. We bought records for these kids to listen to. In the 60s, that's what you listen to, was records, not a CD. Listen to records. We listened to records. We took them to plays. We took them to concerts. We took them to choir concerts. We took them to a wide variety of intellectually stimulating activities and events because we had money to do it now. And we realized the importance of that and the value of stimulating the brains of our children in the early years. I think it paid off. I didn't have the research tools to kind of measure the difference, but our kids came out quite strong, quite well. Very capable girls. And I think that enrichment that we were able to provide them in the early years of life paid off. It was good. It was good for them. It was good for us. So it can be done. So I'm just wondering, you know, kind of what in the world would be the best answer to helping people in poverty and particularly helping the children who are raised in homes of poverty? How can we best help them? mature and have brains that will be functional and be uh, quite capable of learning and uh, developing and leading them into a life of productivity and success and achievement and uh, we just have to wait and see but anyway at least from this research we see poverty has a very profound effect upon the neurological development of young children it affects the size of the brain the functioning of their brain. And it will, and the shape of their brain too, by the way. So the brain's affected by poverty. And we have to now find ways in which we can enhance the brains of children because that will lead to greater learning and greater capability and greater success of those children and help them perhaps navigate out of a world of poverty that otherwise they would be stuck in for generations. So we'll take a look at this and see how this, you know, works out. But you may have your own story. You may have your own experience. You may know people who uh, handled this matter of poverty and how they did and how they stimulated their children. You know, you may have done some of these things yourself to make sure your children were intellectually stimulated during the early years of life. Not just because maybe you lived in poverty or not, but just because that's good for a child's brain to be stimulated early in life in a wide variety of ways through language and music and uh, dance and coordinated activities and balance activities and physical strengthening and just the various ways in which a child has challenged to remember things and increase their memory capabilities and learning capabilities. Those are still good, whether you're in, you're in poverty or not. But if you live in poverty, it looks like it's particularly good if you encourage your children in those kinds of ways. 
Anyway, this has been the uh, Psychology Report. Nice that you had with me today. What I did, what I'd like to do today, is just uh, bring to your attention a program in Fresno, California called Rescue the Children. Rescue the Children. It's a program under the Fresno Rescue Mission, who works with adults who are homeless and helpless, and giving them food and shelter and clothing and training and a job possibility once they've gone through the training program of two years. They have a shelter for children and mothers, an old hotel that was renovated. And uh, mothers not only uh, have a place to live with their children, but have educational opportunities, have guidance, have counseling, have ways to be supported and encouraged and to help their children in their schooling program so the kids would do better in their academic pursuits. So it's called Rescue the Children. You know, and they thrive on donations. It's the donations that give them the money to develop this kind of a program and to expand it. So here's a place that you could send a few bucks. It'd be an excellent opportunity. Rescue the Children under the Fresno Rescue Mission in Fresno. And direct your funds to Rescue the Children. It'll go to that program and it will help that program to thrive, help it develop and become bigger and stronger and more effective in the families with it with which it works. So it's called Rescue the Children. Anyway, nice to have you with me today. And um, this is Dr. Alan Hedberg, and it's the Psychology Report. Bye for now.